Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. So, Ray, are you in uh, Chicago this morning? Where are you? I am. I'm downtown Chicago with the Merchandise Smart. Uh, it's been raining like you wouldn't believe for, seems like forever. So, yeah, we're just waiting for spring to roll in. Ah, Okay. And uh, how did we get connected? Remind me what, uh, did I reach yeah. out to you? Yeah, go, yeah, go for it. Okay. So I actually think it was Erica at the Panther group introduced uh, me to, uh, Scott. And okay. then I had a call with Scott and I've since introduced, I've actually got another intro for you guys. Um, uh, HR looking to recruit. So yeah, we just sort of, we got introduced by Erica at the Panther group, who's also been amazing introducing us to some folks as well. So, Oh, that's great. Well, I appreciate them doing that. Thank you. Great to be connected. I see we're connected to a few of the same people online, uh, on LinkedIn as well. Cause we're both retailers. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the Rider Flex show. Thank you. Um, Ray, before we get into uh, you know, business and what you're doing with Progress Retail. Tell me about you, the person, early life, family, mom, dad, siblings. Sure. Give, give it to us. Go for it. Yeah. So I was born in a very small town in Michigan, uh, about, I don't know, at that point, about 10,000 people called Elma. Um, I'm the oldest of uh, four kids and my parents were college professors. So oh, okay. growing up, um, you know, obviously school was important, but um, they were also piano professors. So I grew up playing piano. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, got stopped playing the piano around age 12. And as the firstborn son of college professors do, you drop out of school a semester. <laughs> so um, that was sort of. Uh, yeah, that was, po that was popular with the parents. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, I think it definitely caused a little. And that was also maybe before it was maybe as, 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 as common as maybe as is today. But, right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, definitely had, um, you know, sort of that entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose, early on, you know, whether it was trying to counterfeit Pokemon cards in grade fifth, fifth grade, um, you know, burning illegal music CDs for your friends and, you know, selling them for five, 10 bucks. So, you know, there were those types of, uh, maybe more, um, uh, gray market activities, but yeah, you know, I ended up, um, really getting, getting my start in retail, to be honest with you, when I was about 18 okay. on the shop floor, um, in the wireless industry. So really started there. And, and that was sort of the beginning of, you know, figuring out what I, uh, what I was good at, I think, which is such a hard thing to do when you're young, um, you know, yes. is sort of where, where's your skill set lie. And, um, and that was probably one of my first opportunities to sort of get a bit of a grasp on that. So you dropped out of school. You never got your degree then. You don't have a bachelor's. No, okay. no, no I did about, right. a, about a year. And yeah, it was just, I, I had started my first, uh, my first company, actually, that was the reason I left school. Um, oh. 
Oh, oh, really? And what was that, the first company? Yeah, so out of the wireless retail experience, um, this was about 2008, you know, so the iPhone was brand new and there were all the accessories, the chargers, the phones, you know, it was, it was different back then. Um, you know, if you cracked your phone, it wasn't as easy as it is today, right? So okay. Okay. I, I started a wholesale business in phones, uh, handsets, new used and refurbished, uh, parts, accessories, et cetera. So that was a real education of its own right, um, you know, the years I, I ran was, that. Was that preferred mobile? That was, yeah. Okay. That was, that was preferred mobile. So, so you're, you were kind of doing that while you started school, but you didn't really like school. Then, you, then, then what happened? You started making some money and you're like, man, I'm making, I'm, making, I'm making plenty of money doing this. I don't need to go to school. Is that kind of what happened? Basically, yeah. I mean, the business was in its first year, you know, did over okay. did, did seven figures in revenue. And so what? I, I, uh, what? I, yeah. <laughs> so I remember meeting my dad at a Panera Bread and was like, um, Dad, I don't think I'm going back to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, Dad, I'm already making more money than you're making. Right. You're already yeah. did you did you have employees? How many employees? Uh, it was very we were very lean. I mean, we uh-huh. I, I had two folks helping me out, but it was very, very lean. So um, super yeah. profitable, super profitable then. Yeah, it was, it was, it was wholesale. So we were working on, you know, margins anywhere from, you know, 10 to 30%, um, obviously wow. depending on the category, um, was doing a lot of importing and exporting um, with wow. different, different countries that were um, either producing some of the um, goods, like the accessories or things like that, or buying them. So wow. it was interesting. How did so where did the entrepreneurial bug come from though, right? Because your parents were like uh, mm. institutional jobs, right? Did it come from one of the siblings? Like where did that bug come from originally? You, do you know? I I don't. You know, I I have spent a lot of time sort of thinking about that and reflecting on mm. that maybe in the last year or two. Mm. You know, I I think um, interestingly, you know, my great grandfather started a company in 1929 uh, that's still around today. Um, oh. And my dad's brother um, runs that company alongside uh, his cousin. I and see. so I think, you know, now uh, my grandfather was not very entrepreneurial. He was also, he was a student. Uh, he loved philosophy, but he inherited that business from his father, right? My great grandfather. Mm. So I think I was around folks at a young age that were successful, um, that, you know, had their own businesses I see. and we didn't have a ton of money growing up. My parents were obviously both, you know, professors, teachers. So, um, I, you know, definitely, I think felt that financial pressure as a young kid. Okay. And that was just sort of the linear thinking to like, all right, well then I need to, you know, I need to go make something, um, to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, did you ever work for your uncle or work in that other family business? Did you ever, no, no, no. I, I mean, it, very informally as a young kid in the warehouse, you know, um, trying not to make a mess, but nothing, no, nothing ever serious now. Uh, okay. All right. But that's, you were around folks like that and you were like, okay, I'd rather do something like that. I'd rather own my own business than be a teacher and all that stuff. Were you a wild kid? Were you a partier? Were you conservative? <laughs> were you, were you in trouble a lot? What, what, what you know, high school, were you like, so crazy sneaking out and you know getting called you had to call your parents from the sheriff's office anything crazy oh well you've, you've nailed about all of it um <laughs> uh yeah look i was definitely um a high energy kid um you know definitely got in a fair share of trouble bit okay. rebellious tough concentrating in school sort of thing so yeah i i made my fun um in unfortunately uh, the teacher's classroom in a way. So yeah, that was definitely. You were the youngest you said, or the, you were the youngest of four you said, or the oldest. 
You were the oldest. Okay. Yeah. So I wasn't always setting the best example. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. were the other siblings wild and crazy too? Or were they like straight, straight A students in the library every Friday? What, what, you know, how'd they you compare? Were all pretty, they were all pretty good students. I think, you know, I, 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 I definitely have empathy for my parents. I think it was a challenging situation, uh, you know, raising me. And I think that that sort of um, uh, in its own way sort of set them on, on maybe a much more um, stable course in terms of, you know, uh, maybe not acting out as much. So I think, I think I became a model of what not to do for them. And they were all great students and, you know, um, and, and good, you know, good kids as well. So, okay. Now are you folks still alive, still married? Uh, still alive, not married. They uh, they separated initially when I was about fifteen, and Ooh, then. That, um, okay, now see now that all right that right there may have caused some of the wildness between fifteen and eighteen because that that jacked you up a little bit emotionally. I'm sure that sure, probably had, yeah. had yeah yeah okay there now was, I, I would definitely say there was more of the acting out before fifteen. Um, oh, really? I kind of. I kind of, I kind of mellowed out a little bit. I was also, you know, a fairly competitive basketball player. I played, you know, AAU oh, year oh, round. And so wow. that was, that was my real, you know, love, if you will, throughout particularly middle school and high school. Oh, um, oh, oh. Were you uh, the starting, you were on the starting high school basketball team when you were junior, senior, all that you were like a, one of the main guys. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. So I got, I got moved up to, I went to two high schools. So the first high school I went to, I got moved up to varsity at the end of very end of my freshman year. Um, okay. so, wow. um, we, we were actually a state runner up, uh, in the state of Michigan. So we were in the state finals, my sophomore year. Oh, um, okay. Oh, that was all. No, that was soul crushing losing in the state championship game. Oh my God. Was it close? Was it like within a point or two or was it, it a, it was, it was a little more than that, but it was, it was a fairly, fairly close game, but yeah, it, uh, it was, that was definitely hard. Um, and then I moved schools halfway through my junior year um you know all that all that right there see all that shapes you right moving to high schools losing that championship game parents getting divorced hmm. see all of that all of that is seasoning on top of your your personality right it kind of shapes you you like it or not okay Mm, all right appreciate you sharing all that with me you married now kids single partners spouses what just very uh i'm i'm single right now um no kids um i you know this uh this business is is uh is all of it right now <laughs> any so you never got any were you ever close to any long-term relationships any you know I, I, you're in love almost got married anything anything yeah, in there? I, I i had one uh probably okay. one real serious one um i met her when i was it was about 2012 or 13, I think. And okay. we dated for about, I would say, two solid years. Mm. Um, she was a bit older than me when I met her. So I, I was probably 23. She was about 28 or 29, I think, if memory serves me correctly. So not a huge gap in age, but um, I think uh, a significant maturity gap, at least in my situation, um, you know, at where you're at as a, as, a, as a young man, I think, in your early 20s versus, you know, I'm, I'm now 32. So um, I'm, you know, very different, uh, in, in many ways, um, okay. you know, okay. as it relates to that. All right. You thinking you'll stay single your whole life or are you looking for the right one? I hope not. Yeah, definitely. Definitely looking for the right one. Uh, but may, you know, it definitely, um, okay. Definitely something I want for sure. You know, what's happening? Like we're recording this on May 3rd, 2022, and there's going to be, there's some girl that you're casually dating right now. She's like, how come you didn't mention me? 
<laughs> it's, funny, it's, it's funny you say that it's funny you say that I, yeah. <laughs> oh man well you by the way you look like you're 24 i'm sure i'm sure you've been told that before you look oh, like I appreciate you, it, yeah. you look you look super young i mean you you know you you said burning cds earlier i'm like damn is he 40s like how old is he you know you don't <laughs> cds what are you what, what is that burning cds most people most of all the millennials listening they're like what's he talking about burning cds so true so right true. oh man okay i appreciate you sharing all that with me all right so you, you you drop out of school you get this going you're making some cash that's feeding your ego right there you're like you're like you're, by that time you're like okay this entrepreneurial stuff is easy no i can you know this is great what? <laughs> so true uh then what happened walk us through your career there a little bit yeah i mean so you're pretty much spot on um it's funny we didn't even prep or anything for this so yeah that was exactly really what it was you know you're young you're making money you think you have it kind of all figured out yeah. um you know you you may lack some of the fundamentals or at least some of the disciplines that you know you obviously need um and and you can kind of sometimes I think take for granted you know market conditions timing luck etc right yeah. and so long story short um, I end up with a partner we ended up um, uh, partnering on a number of uh, wireless retail stores as well and that was oh. that was also sort of expanding obviously my retail repertoire okay. um, but then you know I got I got involved in another business it was sort of in um, you know. Uh, um, homes like that were being serviced by banks and things like that. And so I kind of, I kind of took my eye off the ball, started extending mm. a lot of credit to customers mm. in my core business. Mm. Long story short, um, ended up getting burned by a few, um, a, a few clients all at once. Um, there was some consolidation going on in that industry at that time. Long story short, lost like a couple hundred grand, which, you know, uh, 22 mm. yep. or something like that was a, was a real big hit, not only to, financially and mentally, but the ego as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I kind of spun out of that. I was like a little bit shell shocked. I was like, all right, what do I want to do? And I had a good friend that was always trying to get me into this, uh, this, this jewelry brand that was growing in the U S um, it was called Michael Hill. And so that brand's actually out of Australia. They've got a couple hundred stores in the world, about a hundred in Canada. Um, and we had a small presence in top malls in the U S and he's like, basically, hey, look, I can you know, try to fast track you to, you know, being basically like a head of stores. Um, and long story short, you know, that's sort of what I did. So I, I came into that business, uh, you know, as as basically a manager in training, really. And, you know, ended up running stores, you know, had the highest revenue stores for them, ended up then getting a larger role. Um, and so this is where I really got my retail fundamentals and my, okay. and my real, you know, retail okay. education. Now, at first, you're like, okay, this sucks being an employee after after owning my own business and making money. Now I got like people telling me what to do, telling me when I can go on vacation, you know, when I can take my days off. And at first, at first, surely you're like, okay, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> it was there's probably there's probably an element of that. I think, you know, I, I kind of tried to focus myself on because you're right, like you get thoughts in your head, and I think one of the things. One, one of my few skills is the ability to sort of block things out. And that, that has a good side and a bad side too. Um, but really for me, I just really tried to focus myself on the opportunity. The fact that, okay. um, you know, I also had the opportunity to make a difference, you know, sort of in that business. And I, and I, I definitely did. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the good news is you had a lot of experience as a business owner, which 
there's just so many lessons in that, right. That helped mm-hmm. you, that helped you be a, an executive for Michael Hill, so to speak. Okay. Head of stores reporting up to who, like the COO, who'd you report to? You remember? Yeah. So at that time there was a president um, for the U S uh, and then that, that role ended up getting merged into a North American president, which I, I left the business by that time. That that okay. It, 20, so 2016, you, why, why'd you leave? Um, yeah, to be honest, um, you know, the, the business wasn't really growing in the U S and, you know, that became really, really clear. And so um, they, they cut off management really uh, you know, that, that, that senior folks person that I was reporting into and my role and tried to sort of merge it into Canada. Oh. Um, the writing was kind of on the wall, to be honest with you. Um, the, the C the, the CEO of that company um, was uh, he left the business I see. weeks before. So there's a real big change management piece um, in place. It seems with that business and okay. um, that business is doing very well, um, which is amazing. And I'm, I'm, and it's funny, I've actually in my new role met with that management team, um, you know, that, on the other side of the table, so to speak interesting. Uh, more recently. So, okay. okay. So, but you leave there and, and before, or did you start progress retail right after how'd mm. that work? Yeah. Talk to me about it. Yeah. So through a mutual connection, actually in Australia, um, the basically progress retail was formed out of a previous company that was known as people in progress. And that who, was, and who, by, who, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So that was founded by uh, a woman named Terry Hawkins, um, who's Australian. And I met through obviously the Australian connection of Michael Hill, mm. uh, as a retailer. Mm. And so, um, Terry developed a very unique form of retail training that was, um, highly focused on, on the human being, the interpersonal, the psychological aspects of retail sales and service. Okay. And to be honest with you, most folks, you know, especially talking to retailers every single day, they don't really focus on that. They focus on the product. They focus on the dumbed down sort of acronym based sales process, but they don't really get into the actual behaviors and skills of whether it's empathy, communication, et cetera. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that was sort of like the, the, the DNA of that business. Mm. And Terry wanted to get that business online. I was moving into retail tech and, it, you know, it, it was like a, a match, um, a great match in that respect. And so, yeah, that was basically how, you know, progress retail was sort of a continuation, if you will, of that business, but now with a platform to, you know, achieve scale. So you were talking to her and you said, Hey, I'm thinking about leaving Michael Hill. And she's like, cool, come help me. Come oh, help me. Come I, help. I had already left. Yeah. You'd already I, left. You'd already yeah. left. Okay. Okay. We, we met a couple, in fact, a couple months after that. Yeah. A couple of months after. And she's like, come help me. And why did you, re, why did you rebrand it? Why'd you guys rebrand it? Progress retail. Yeah. So, you know, the company was originally predominantly a services business, um, delivering retail training and it was people in progress. And so when we built out this platform for us, I think we really wanted to, from, from an optics perspective, a marketing communication spec perspective, really orient that business around the retail industry. I see. And so, you know, I think for us being known as Progress Retail, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very clear, hopefully, that, you know, our target industry is the retail industry um, and v- multiple categories within. Um, and Progress, you know, that was obviously uh, a testament to the original name, People mm-hmm. in Progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a lot to do with really, you know, every, every part of the fabric of our product um, and how we look at, you know, 
pro progressing the industry forward. Did you have to buy in? Did she let you, uh, how did you set up the cap table and ownership? I mean, uh, how did you guys form this organization? She already had it going. So did she just, was she like, oh, cool. Here's 50% of the company and you can just, uh, how'd that work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's a good question. These things um, always, you know, I think when, when you start something and it's early, there's all that excitement and stuff and, yeah. and you, you can kind of, um, you know, get going. And, and so basically because of the fact that the business was changing and changing rapidly, and we were building out this product and IP um, from a software perspective um, but, you know, I, I'm, I certainly wasn't leading all of that myself, but I'm uh, definitely a significant part of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, we basically formed a new corporation um, that was a continuation of the previous one um, with, with a 50-50 cap table, uh, Terry and myself. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it's, by the way, for the listeners, progressretail.com, progressretail.com. Give, give us the elevator pitch, progressretail. I mean, you've touched on it a little bit, but give, right. us, the, give us the pitch. Progress retail. What does it do? Why should I use it? Talk to us. Go yeah. for it. Yeah, for sure. So I guess I'll just frame it is in the two problems we solve for retailers. So one, um, retail today is complex. It's only getting more complex. Um, retail teams have to interact with so many tools just to do their job, mm. formal and informal, everything from getting 25 emails a day to Google Sheets to Dropbox to this, that, and the other. Our platform is a single platform that has dynamic learning, task execution, and company communications built and designed from the ground up for the nuance of retail. So we replace anywhere from three to five apps for retailers via our single platform that does those things. Um, the second problem we solve for retailers, though, is that traditionally they struggle just due to a lack of internal capability, typically, to design effective uh, learning content that is engaging, but also creates impact. And so, you know, obviously borrowing from, um, you know, our, our, the original business that we were sort of founded out of, that's our bread and butter, that's our expertise. So with the platform for a retailer, you not only get this platform that you can do all this great stuff with, you can streamline your store operations, et cetera. You also have access to a renowned library of deep retail education in the areas of sales and service training, store management and leadership development, and more. So that's sort of the two main uh, those are the two main problems we solve and how we go about it. And you said IP earlier. Is this is this super secret patented technology that you've launched here uh, that's protected? Or and how do you how do you uh, you know fend off competitors? Yeah, sure. I, I I love that question. I've never you know I've been on a lot of these. I've never been asked that. So um, obviously we have a, a number of uh, copyrights, trademarks, et cetera. Our software IP is, you know, is, is, our, is the companies, of course. But I was reading in a book once, I think, yeah, so about like how Toyota used to always bring the Ford and Chevy executives through the, um, uh, you know, through their factories and, and uh, assembly lines. And, you know, they'd all take furious notes and things like that, but <laughs> no, one, no one could ever repeat it. And, and I say that, I say that with humility in the sense that there's very few um, folks that we would even consider to be competitors that have the retail expertise that we have. Mm. So what I mean by that is it's not so much the what, it's the how. And for us, because of the fact that we've, you know, our team, we just hired a customer success manager, lifelong retailer, HR, store ops, et cetera. 
you know, outside of the engineers, we hire retailers because there's a language to retail. And, you know, we could give them our metaphorical manuals, but it's the how in how it gets implemented, how it gets executed, how it gets communicated that, you know, is something that I think we really pride ourselves on. So um, for us, you know, we we're just focused on doing you know great work for our retail partners, uh, differentiated work um, that enables them to achieve you know the outcomes they want. So um, we do short answer. We do have IP, of course, um, but you know it's it's certainly um, you know it's certainly not something we're we're fearful of anyone trying to duplicate or replicate. You just kind of do it better. Exactly. I mean, well, and I think you focus on the work, you focus on the client, you focus on the industry where the industry is going. I mean, you focus on you know, for us, I, you know, internally, we refer to her as Susie. Susie, she works on the front line. She makes 12 to $15 an hour. She's got a kid at home. She's a single mom. If we design everything and we build everything to optimize her life, mm. she wins, the retailer wins, we win. That's sort of how we, how we like to frame it. What you just touched on is such a common challenge for co-founders and owners. I mean, hey, running a business is hard, man. I mean, I always tell people, I'm like, look, being an employee is easy. Mm. <laughs> you want to do something hard, try and run a business. Okay. Oh. Uh, and uh, especially with co-founders and co-owners and, and cap tables and, you know, investors. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard. And uh, a lot of times, um, people need to transition out of the business for various reasons, uh, whatever it might be. They're at a different stage in life. They don't like the stress. They don't like the cash flow. It's not paying them enough. They they know they can go be an employee and make two hundred fifty grand a year versus making seventy five grand a year trying to run this damn company. Whatever, right? Sure. Um, and then the learning lessons come into play where you're like, okay, well, how do we do that? Okay, well, what percentage do they own? Let's talk about getting a valuation of the business and what's a fair valuation. And okay, now we got to agree on that. And then we, how we're going to pay you out. And is it over time and, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And there's so many lessons in that. Uh, and so many experiences. Um, I'm rambling here a bit, but I think this is all really good information for, for the listeners of the podcast. My, my tip or my, my, strongest words of encouragement for anybody listening is this just make damn sure there's a clean operating agreement right with very clear uh content around ownership and what happens if the shit hits the fan what happens if one of the owners or one of the equity holders wants to exit What's the process for it? What's the buyout product? Like all of that needs to be structured in an operating agreement right up front. And so many people don't make sure that's clean. They do exactly what you mentioned earlier, yeah. which is, which is let's just get going. Let's see if this can do anything. Let's don't spend time doing a bunch of shit that, that doesn't matter because we don't even know if this is going to work. Let's just try to get some sure. revenue going. Then sure. you start, you start hustling, you start running down the path and, then you're going and then you're six months in and then you're 12 months in. You're like, oh, this is actually making a little bunny, bit, bit of money. OK, cool. Maybe this is going to work. And you never get around to buttoning up some of that paperwork. Right. And right. Then, right. then then you're two, three years in and something happens. And then you're like, yeah. oh, so shit. Totally. So I, just, I, I, yeah. I love what you shared, though. I mean, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, I, you know, I've learned the most about myself 
-hmm. in the last few years doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. than, Mm -hmm. um, than anything else. And I think that that's net, that's good, of course, but, um, you know, it kind of goes back to like, you know, having a really solid understanding of yourself, you know, Mm. before you get into this, these types of things, um, you know, is it's, it's going to help you. I mean, being able to, you know, know who you are and what drives you and what, you know, motivates you, what triggers you, you know, having, having a really good grasp on sort of that map of you, um, makes you more effective with others. And I think that, you know, um, that's, that's, uh, you know, especially when you're in business and it's, it is all about, you know, relationships and partnerships, um, internal and external. I mean, that's just, uh, it's, that's key. So when you, when you say knowing yourself, I think what's most important there as an entrepreneur is if you generally do not like risk and, Mm. and, 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 um, you know, dealing with stress and pressure and figuring things out, like if you, if you want a nice structured little stable life where you go eight to five and then you go home and you make a little dinner and you watch your little TV shows and you do it the same way the next day and everything just runs smooth. If that's the kind of life you like, don't be an entrepreneur. It's so true. It's so true. And, and, and I think, you know, adding to that um, or building on what you're saying is that you also then sort of need to work on attracting people into your life that can understand that, you know? And so, and I think like, Yes. You know, and, I mean, just as a 32 year old single guy, you know, that's been a real hard thing with, you know, with, with dating, if you will, not that I've done a ton of it, but it's, it's like, it's like, yeah, I, I have calls overseas calls at 7, 8 PM, like can't go to dinner, like during the week, like it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that can be tough too, you know, and yes. like, how do you sort of build your, your social life as well? I mean, the, the little that you do as an entrepreneur, like how can you sort of um, have positive outlets there instead of just, you know, bottle tequila, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> by the way, you touched on another, you touched on another, uh, great topic for entrepreneurs. If you have, if you have a vice of any kind, that's already a little bit on the edge, whatever it is you're doing, like, let's just say you're a, let's say you're a VP of retail for whoever, you know, target or something. And you already have some sort of problem, um, like a violet. Let's say you're drinking maybe a little bit more than you should. And by the way, I, hey, I'm a huge bourbon guy, so I love to have a drink. So I'm not bashing people who have a drink. Yeah, but, but let's just say you already have some sort of addiction of some kind that, that is already a little bit close to the edge. If you become an entrepreneur, it's going to get worse. Oh yeah, no question. No question. <laughs> so you got to really monitor that, and then that tied to the relationships you talked about. Yeah, you're trying to date somebody. You know, she meets you, and you're like, "Okay, listen, I'm an entrepreneur, which means all this shit could crash next month. Uh, I, you know, I hope not, but could. Uh, I work all the time. I'm super stressed." There are no guarantees. There's no promises. I don't have a, you know, a giant 401k. Uh, by the way, the company had to borrow some money, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and meanwhile, the girl you, you meet is like, like a banker or something that has like right, a regular, yeah. regular, regular job <laughs> to that kind of lifestyle. And maybe she grew up in a family where dad worked a nine to five. So th- there's just no, there's no ability to compute like what's going on no. here. This, this guy's crazy is basically what it, you know, what it is. <laughs> 
isn't it funny when you try, you, you try to have a beer with somebody that ha has never been a business owner, never been an entrepreneur, and just like worked for the same company for 20 years. It, it just They just have no fucking idea. They cannot, they, they just can't relate. I don't care what you tell them. They can't, they just can't yeah. relate. Yep. <laughs> so true. And, and, and you know, when, when you, when you hire people like that, or you bring them into your business and you know, they see whether it's like your marketing automation or your CRM or your, you know, meetings getting booked or what your LinkedIn uh, activity or whatever. And I think people, particularly that work in other businesses, they just think that stuff, you know, runs on autopilot. Like it's, or it just happens magically um, when they actually see it. it's like, no, no, it's actually a human being that's teeing up all of these processes, systems, et cetera, to make that look like it ran on autopilot. You know, there's a, there's a huge dissonance there. Um, in terms huge, of, huge, yeah. huge disconnect. One of those that, that relates to us here at RiderFlex. I mean, RiderFlex is our day job is a recruiting firm, right? Like we, we're a recruiting and staffing firm. Companies hire us to place candidates. That's our day job. The RiderFlex podcast that we do is a great marketing tool for our clients, our friends, our referral partners, and for us. Sure. But but my point was going to be, you know, people will call me and be like, hey, man, um, why wow, you, you do a lot of podcasts. I, I'm going to I want to start a podcast. I, tell me how to start a podcast. And I always go, bro, you have no idea how much time this takes. Let me just tell you. percent. <laughs> you have no idea. Like, I, you just, to your point, all of it takes a lot of hustle, a lot of hustle, a lot of hard work. And it doesn't just happen automatically. Um, oh, sure. Okay. Okay, so right now, um, lean. What do you got? Three, four, five, ten employees, twenty. Where are you at? Where right now? Yeah, so we're we're just under ten. We've got about four, four, five on the Great. tech side. So inclusive of CTO, product leader, engineers. Um, just hired customer success. Got an operations assistant. Um, tech support that kind of helps in billing as well. So Great. yeah, we're we're just about that you know eight nine mark. I think all up. Revenue generating in four countries. So are you, you know, are you burning cash or are you profitable? Are you and did you have to borrow any cash? Have you raised any? Go ahead. So we're we're 100 bootstrapped with debt. Um, so not venture debt or anything like that. Just uh, you know, long term liability. Family, family debt or bank debt? Where did you get the cash? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, bank debt. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. And what how the what the bank sign off on the IP? What'd you use it for collateral? Yeah, well, actually, the majority of it's the SBA, to be honest with you. Great. Uh, good for you. Yeah. Hey, that's a good, great tip for the Awesome. Yeah, so awesome. that's the majority of it. Um, there's some that's slightly, slightly higher, you know, that we're going to refinance or just pay off here in the next, you know, six months. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, you know, for us, COVID was a, I think for many people, right, it was a bit of a curveball, um, to put it lightly. Yeah. And so, you know, now we're sort of in this phase where, um, you know, we will be uh, potentially looking at, you know, raising around our first, our first round. Um, you know, I think for us, you know, we've got obviously a, a, a revenue generating business um, that's, you know, established product market fit. And I, I believe at least one to two categories within retail. So, um, so, all right. So you're generating revenue. Are you burning? I, I, I cut you off there. Cause I asked you like four questions at once. Are you burning cash or are you profitable month to month right now? We're we're burning we're we're going on a heavy engineering sprint right now, so we okay. are burning we are burning some cash. Um, okay. We will dial that back a little bit, um, sort of actually in the next about month because we're sort of finishing a major phase of engineering. Okay. Um, so yeah, look once once we once we dial that back, you know we'll we'll be we're cash flow positive month to month. Good for you, but the cash originally came from bootstrapped, 
SBA loan? Did you get an idle and PPP and all that stuff as well during COVID? Unfortunately, we didn't get much for the PPP because, you know, we had such few, uh, you know, sort of W2 employees at that time. Um, okay. But yeah, EIDL was the was one of them for sure. Great. Um, and uh, yeah, that's sort of. Okay. The, All right. The, Very good. Zoom obviously, across. obviously revenue, right? The, that's the best. Um, yeah. <laughs> Got that right, brother. <laughs> are you able, are you able to pay yourself? Are you paying yourself a little bit enough to survive? Yeah. Okay. Enough survive. You know, look, I'm as single, no kids. So I'm happy to, you know, I'm, I'm the lowest paid employee in the company. And that's how I think it should be. So, you yeah. know, hey, hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. If you're in startup phase with 10 employees and you're the and you're the CEO, you're probably the lowest paid. <laughs> yep. Uh, my first year at RiderFlex uh, as a recruiting firm, I paid myself like $30,000. And keep in mind, as an as a retail executive before that, I was making like whatever two fifty or something, you know. Sure. I started RiderFlex. My wife's like, "Oh, that's cool. That's fun. Like, how much is that going to pay?" I'm like, uh, "I don't know for sure." <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know, you better be ready with some savings or a spouse that can supplement a little bit or help you pay the bills. Uh, if you want to be an entrepreneur, and however much you think you're going to make in your first two or three years. You just go ahead and slice it in half by fifty percent. <laughs> it's true. It, it's so true. I mean, everything. Um, everything takes longer. Um, yes, everything. Yes, is, yes, everything yes. takes more. More than you know you forecast. Um, but you know, if I think if you if you stick with it, and that's sort of what we're starting to now see now is that you know you those incremental building blocks you do build on this foundation becomes quite compelling over time, and uh, it takes time to realize that though, and it takes a hell of a lot of um, perseverance, uh, resilience, and, uh, you know, adversity to risk because, you know, there is so much of it, uh, for sure. So what happened was for you, you had an early entrepreneurial experience. So you had, and you had the bug a little bit, but then when you had that early success, bam, now you're locked in, you're, you're, you're a lifelong entrepreneur. It's hard to get away from it. You went and did the other job, which was great uh, for Michael Hill, right? And you learned a lot there. I think it was Michael Hill, right? Yeah, you learned a lot. You learned a lot. Gave you some foundational things that you probably needed. So good experience. Good experience, right? But that entrepreneurial thing was in there, right? The bug was in there. You're like, okay, I've already tasted it. I want want to do it again. You got the risk. You got the risk levels for it. And now here you are. Uh, You got involved with this this, uh, uh, co-founder and then... Now you're taking the business to the next level. She's exiting out. Good for you, man. Congratulations. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats. Um, so what's the plan? Are you going to, is this a lifestyle? Hey, let's just build this and let's just build this and have some fun. Are you going to, you going to try to sell it someday? Do you have a magic plan? Or right now you're just like, Hey, it's, I'm just, I'm just hustling. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. I, look, I mean, we have some pretty ambitious growth targets. I mean, we're, we're, um, we're, we're experiencing a real growth curve right now. Fortunately, Great. Um, there's a confluence of factors that are, you know, um, enabling that um, our product strength is one of them. Um, but there's, you know, the, the industry, the retail industry is, is looking for tools like ours. Um, you know, there's still a tremendous amount of, you know, I talked to a major retailer last night overseas, you know, they're still inducting their team members with a paper-based manual. Um, 
it's happening. It's and so, but they but they know it's not effective and it needs to be you know reevaluated. And so, tools like ours are you know definitely um, you know uh, having their moment. And so for us, yeah, look, you know, as as mentioned, we're revenue generating in four countries. We want to own those four countries. Um, and then we want to, you know, eventually, you know, scale this thing globally. Um, and what that looks like from, you know, an exit strategy, um, there's, you know, certainly it's, it's really early uh, or, or premature rather for me to sort of okay. you know, say anything now, but we definitely think there are some opportunities. I'll put it that way. What is the future of brick and mortar retail, my friend? I mean, you know, I spent many years in retail, you know, that's where I grew up before we started Riderflex. Um but boy, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different landscape. I mean, where's it going? Where's brick and mortar going? And before you answer that, let me just tell you, like, I hate going to the store, bro. Like I order everything from Amazon. Like if I, yeah. if I have to go down to Best Buy and get something, I, it, I'd rather stick needles in my eyeballs. So sure. what, where's, where's brick and mortar going and how, what, where does that mean for your business? Yeah. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's definitely some shopping experiences, um, some categories that don't necessarily render um, or require, you know, a physical visit to the store. So, you know, I think like Best Buy is a great example. Consumer electronics are largely commoditized. Um, they have an excellent Best Buy. I'm speaking of in particular, they have an excellent, you know, buy online, pick up in store, uh, you know, solution or ship from store, what have you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, I, I think stores are obviously we're finding are essential to a retailer's um, overall strategy. Um, it's a lower cost acquisition channel. Um, it's the highest engagement channel when you can get someone into your store, you know, and you can actually have them touch and feel the product or, or experience the product, depending on what the actual category is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for every one store that's closing, it's, I was reading a report the other day, five are opening. Um, so okay. store, store openings are, you know, okay. consistently outpacing closings. All right. But it's very category dependent, right? So I think you look at, you know, obviously Erica from the Panther Group introduced us on the basis of cannabis retail, which, you know, that's largely um, a physical uh, shopping experience and probably will be for the foreseeable future. Um, But other high touch categories, whether it's luxury, whether it's, you know, beauty and cosmetics, um, you know, those are, um, those categories are are still very strong, you know, in person. And so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but I also think you, you know, the stores are doing so much more than they were doing before, right? When we talk about fulfillment, when we talk about, um, you know, just some of these omni-channel activities or whatever. So the store is still there. It's just the teams are doing different things now. It's not just about servicing customers. Okay. Got any cannabis retail clients? Yeah, I got a, got a, got a bunch. It's a real strong segment for us. So uh, have you, have you, uh, have you uh, had a CEO for a cannabis retailer and you go to dinner and they're like, okay, man, let's go out to the car. We're going to partake. You know, it's funny. Um, not yet. Uh, we've got, you know, some great ones though. We've got the largest single state operator in the country, Loom out of Michigan. Okay. Um, got one out near neck of the woods, strawberry fields. Uh, oh, they, oh. they brought, came oh. on. So. All right. Yeah. We've got a handful throughout the U S and then a, a fair, fair number in Canada as well. We have a big client uh, at Riderflex. Uh, we uh, placed about 100 people into this this cannabis oh, wow. uh, company, and uh, we were taking the CEO to dinner to you know say thank you and all of that. Yeah. And casually, like like just kind of being friendly, you know. And 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 I'm a I'm a I'm a, uh, a social special occasion cannabis user. You know, like you know if I'm if I'm at if if I'm at a party or if it's maybe special date night or whatever, like well, uh, you know. 
I'll consume. Uh, sure. But, and uh, my partner is a much more uh, conservative and like rarely has, you know, just a few times in life. Anyway, we're at dinner with this client who owns a cannabis company, right? He's a founder, right? So he's obviously a huge cannabis guy. And I say, uh, I go, I go, hey, man, you know, but, hey, thank you so much. You know, appreciate the business. And, you know, hey, let's, you know, maybe someday let's, let's smoke together, you know, and have a good time. Yeah, we'll catch. And he goes, well how about right now? He goes, because we're at a restaurant. He goes, how about now? He goes, let's just go outside. And we're, we're, I'm like, oh, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> and my partner, my partner was like, what? dude, I haven't like smoked in like 20 years. Like, I don't even, what, I don't even know what to do. What if I'm at? Cause he, cause he goes, the, this guy, the, the owner goes to the restroom. He's, he's like, okay, I'm going to go to the restroom and pay the bill. We'll go outside. And my co-founder, he's freaking out. He's like, holy shit, bro. He's like, what are we going to smoke right now? Like out on the street? Like, what the, how are we going to do this? <laughs> and I'm like, this is a huge client. We're going to do whatever he wants. So like, we're going to, if he wants to smoke, we're going to smoke. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, make a long story short, we go outside of the street. Uh, this is Denver, by the way, which is a little more relaxed. Sure. But still this guy, this, this guy's a millionaire, right? Yeah. Millionaire owns a cannabis, huge cannabis company. He lights up right on the street, right, right. on the street, people walking by and me and the, me and my co-founder were like, Oh shit. Like, oh, okay. Is this, is this cool? Like, are we going to get arrested? I don't know. How does this work? This is, what are we doing here? Anyway, right. to make a long story short, my point of all that is if you have cannabis customers, Ray, uh, you know, if the CEO that's paying you hundreds of thousands of dollars wants to go to a party late night, you're probably going to have to go. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, no question. And, and I you know, definitely, I, I'm, I'm, I'm no stranger to a party. So yeah, I, I uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm always uh, being, especially with, you know, especially with great clients. That's uh, great opportunities. Yeah. Uh, we're almost out of time. Last question. Last two questions. If you could go back in time and finish school, knowing what you know now, would you? No. Okay. You know, you're going, you're with Elon Musk, right? School, schools, then you, cause you've heard, I'm sure you've heard him say in that, that famous yeah. interview where he's like, yeah. I, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't go back to school, but I, I think there's other forms of education that I would have taken part in, you know, okay. and I think okay. one of the most powerful things I did was I joined this men's group um, oh. and it really taught me a lot about myself, you know, where I come from, how I am the way I am in some ways and uh -huh. being able to settle in like to me, you know, that's more valuable than, you know, getting a degree and an undergrad at least, in, okay. you know an average uh, topic or something. Yeah. So keep learning, open your mind, be part of organizations Doesn't necessarily have to be a bachelor's degree. That's what I hear. You yeah, say. definitely. I mean, I think, okay. you know, be successful in life. You have to keep learning. It's just what it looks like can be different for everyone. Yeah. Speaking of Elon, are you glad that he bought Twitter? Are you a fan of that or no? Do you want to comment on that? Um, look, I, I, I think, you know, the beauty of capitalism in this country is that people that have money can spend it how they want. And I, I'm stunned. I, I will comment on it. I haven't really done this on LinkedIn, but for the purpose of this, I will. I'm just stunned at the outrage. You know, it's like, evolved, yeah. you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, when we, we all use things like Google and, you know, every single day and, you know, yeah. uh, what's the difference between, you know, Google's um, attitudes on certain things and, you know, Elon Musk, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like, let's just be good in our communities. Let's take care of our clients, our families. Like, I, I just don't really personally care. You know, I, uh, I love Twitter. I think it's a great product. Um, and I'm excited to see what, you know, Elon wants to do with it, if it all goes through, which I hope it does. But yeah. 
yeah, yeah, for, yeah. I was, I was a fan. I'm like, yeah, cool, great. Hey, yeah. if it, if it, if it opens the platform for more free speech and more uh, and less uh, one-sided narratives, I'm yeah. for it. I'm for it. Um, last question: Core purpose in life. Your core purpose in life. If you had to uh, summarize it into a sentence, what would that sound like for Ray? Yeah, I guess I'm glad I'm being asked that now as opposed to like years ago, I wouldn't probably have had a good answer. I mean, now, you know, for me, it's really about uh, my family and, and the extension of that's legacy in a way. Like I really want to build something that, you know, um, or, or build some things, you know, that um, I can hopefully pass down to another generation um, and have them hopefully, you know, continue to grow it. So that's sort of, that's really what, um, orients me in terms of yeah purpose for sure thank you so much for being on the writer flicks podcast ray appreciate you sharing yeah thank you this is great